2 Kings chapter 4. And like Pastor Denny said, this is part four of the series we've been on called Facing Your Fears. Facing Your Fears. Uh, I say it every week. Remember, facing your fears is the most repeated phrase in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's been said that there's over 366 mentions of fear not. One for every day of the year. And I feel like I'm getting louder and louder. I know. Hello. Oh, okay. So fear not, fear not, fear not. The, I, I believe God's trying to tell us something. Fear not. And yet fear is the number one accepted sin in the church today. Last week, I, I preached a hard message on it's either fear or faith. You can't have faith and yet be moving in fear. It's either fear or faith. Your thoughts are either faith-filled or fear-filled. The first and second week, we focused just on fear itself. And some of the points that we hit was that fear puts limitations on God. Fear focuses on only what you can do. They're all about you, you, you. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't do enough. I don't have enough. They're all you or we statements. We, we can't do this. We can't do that. Fear is faith that something bad is going to happen. I told you, I think it was last week, that it's like, because we're getting close to Christmas, it's like looking under the Christmas tree, seeing the presents, and hoping that you have something bad under there. We wouldn't do that. Yet we let ourselves be overcome by the same type of uh, internal hope, which is fear. Internal hope that something bad is going to happen. Yay! Something bad is going to happen. No, it just doesn't make sense. But see, we can sometimes have what we think are very logical thoughts, but when we finally speak them out, we, we think, what? what? I'm not, what? So I encouraged you all the time, and especially last week, you can't pull down a thought until you speak it and hear it and go, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Challenge your own thinking. Are these faith-filled or are these fear-based Thoughts. Uh, again, first and second week, we talked about worry and anxiety being symptoms of fear. Worry and anxiety are anchored in this world. I don't, I can't get enough. I, I might lose something. I might, you know, they're all about the this world. But faith is anchored in heaven. Worry and anxiety is believing that this world is all you have. And worry is a weight that you were just never meant to carry. I feel like I'm preaching to the back row. You guys are like way back there. Anyway, okay. It's that extra hour of sleep now. Brian even got up early and he's like, boy, I feel ready to go get him. I'm like, yeah, we all got an extra hour of sleep. So you have no excuses, Jacob, to fall asleep there on the front row. Okay, you're doing good. Stay awake there. The second week, we focused on what God has given us that will help us to overcome any and all fears. And it's in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a power or a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. 
Remember, Jesus said, I've given you all authority over all the power of the enemy. So the only way the enemy can gain your authority, can get your authority from you, is through wrong thinking. You surrender your authority to him. Through wrong thinking, you surrender your authority to him. Perfect love, though, casts out all fear. The big kicker there, remember, is that we have to receive the love. Just because love is offered doesn't mean you're walking in the love that will cast out the fear. You have to receive it. You have to believe it, and you have to start walking in it. We learned in 1 John 4, 7 that we are like Jesus. In this world, the scripture says we are like Jesus. Do you think Jesus walked around wondering if God loved him? Mad at him? Disapproving of what he does? No, he walked in the love of the Father. And he said, in this world, we are like Jesus. We have to receive that love and walk in it. And again, like last week, we focused just on faith or fear. Faith or fear. We learned that the opposite of fear is not courage or boldness. It's faith. The opposite of fear is faith. We looked at the parable of the sower. And the explanation that Jesus gave of the thorns, remember? That he said some seed was thrown on the path, but thorns grew up. Was it the path? I can't remember. Anyway, the seed fell among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries or the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choked the word, making it unfruitful. And the word cares there means double-minded. And so the whole lesson last week was really about being double-minded. How we try to be earth-focused, earthly-minded, human reason, and kingdom-minded at the same time. And that's being double-minded. And he said you actually choke the word of God in your life, making it unfruitful. So you wonder why you quote all the right scriptures, you pray all the right prayers, you do everything you're supposed to do, and yet you're not getting the promises that you see in the word. It's because when you're double-minded, you render the word unfruitful in your life. Again, the opposite of fear is not courage or boldness. It's faith. So here we go. Jumping into part four of facing your fears, we're going to look at fear in finances. And so we're going to read, well, okay, not yet. Stick to my notes. For most people... The only fear they can pinpoint in their finances is the lack thereof. From toiling to worrying, hoarding seems to be their only answer. Symptoms of fear in finances are you will overcommit at work when you are living in fear. The fear of not having enough. I need more. You'll criticize others for what you consider Wasteful spending. As a matter of fact, the old saying says, waste not, want not, right? So if, they, if you perceive that they're wasting their money, well, then they just need to be in want, right? Another fear in finances is that you emphasize getting more than giving. Well, because don't tell me what to give because it's all mine. Kind of like the seagulls and finding Nemo. Mine, 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 right? 
don't tell me what to give. Another fear in finances is you, you have a hard time receiving from others. And this one I've been like hypersensitive to this last couple weeks because I put this in my notes and I kept taking it back out and going, thinking, that's not, that's not a fear and fine. That can't be. But the revelation was given to me this morning that it is because insecurity is pride in disguise and pride is fueled by fear. I, take, I can take care of myself, right? You've heard people say that. I don't, I don't need that. You don't have to give me that. I can't. No, I don't. That's insecurity, which is just pride in disguise, which pride is I can take care of myself. Okay, where's God in that? So it does belong here. You have a hard time receiving from others. And then the last one I put down is you expect others to give if they have before trusting God. Well, so-and-so's got a lot of money and we need this. Why don't they give? See, it's easier to focus on what you can see than it is to focus on what's unseen. That's fear. That this world is all you have. Now, I'm not saying that working is wrong. That's absurd. What I will challenge you with today is who is really your provider? And I'm not saying saving money is wrong. That's equally absurd. But what I will challenge you with today is what you do with what you've been given. Both of those will tell you if you have fear in your finances. So now let's read 2 Kings chapter 4. I paddled with this scripture back and forth too when God first started, you know, sharing, okay, this is this is a scripture. I'm like, that don't even make sense. But as I started surrendering to, okay, Lord, if y'all put it down and and then it started opening itself up and it's like, man, God is just so good. You know, he's so creative. In his word, he actually knew what he was saying. I know. Yeah, I'm glad. All right, let's read this. 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 1. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead. Don't you love just the pointedness of Scripture? Anyway. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elijah replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterward shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he said, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. 
you and your sons can live on what is left. Let's just look at those scriptures together. The prophet asked her, what do you have in your house? What do you have? Her immediate response is nothing. Right? I mean, when we're looking at our bank accounts or our savings accounts or our check at the end of the weekend, so what do you have? Nothing! Right? But she said, a little oil. I do have a little. God loves to use the little things to show his bigness to the world. Yet if we're not looking correctly, if we're looking fear-based and not faith-based, we'll look at that little and say, nothing, we have nothing. God says, just give me a little. Just give me a little. If she wouldn't have offered her little, God could not multiply it. Think about the little boy's lunch that fed the multitudes. Oh, but we'll talk about that in a minute. The prophet warned her when he told her what to do. He warned her, don't ask for just a few. Go to your neighbors and ask for jars, but don't ask for just a few. You know why? We talked about this at our life group on Thursday night. It's in our human nature to think we don't deserve much. Well, I can't ask God for that. I mean, Latasha, wasn't we talking about this? We can't ask God for a new car because, well, our car, if we get a jump every here and there and, you know, give it a kick in the, you know, engine once in a while, it'll keep running. It's okay. It's okay. It's in our human nature, worldly mindset to think a little is going to be enough. I just, you know, I'm just going to hold on till Jesus comes. It's good and it's good enough. I don't want to bring, you know, there's people starving in Africa. I don't want to ask God for grocery money this week because, well, I can, what, what are you going to do? Eat out of the trash? You know, it's in our human nature to ask for just a little. So the prophet had to warn her, don't ask for just a few. Don't ask for just a few. Remember our message last week, double-minded Double-minded. If we're, if we're locked in that mindset of earthly, oh, I just got to get by. I just got to get by. It renders the word of God unfruitful in your life. And guess what? You'll just get by. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be abundant? The abundant life that Jesus promised and he said, I died for you to have? Or do you just want to get by? I'm sick of getting by. I was getting by when I was living on my own in the world on the streets. That I was getting by. I don't want to get by anymore. I want the abundant life. I want to walk in blessing. I want people to see, oh, you don't ha- you're you look unqualified. You you look less than, but you know what? There's something different about you. That's right. I'm living in abundance. I'm not going to ask just for a little anymore. Ask big and trust God, because that got brought up at Life Group. Well, how do I know when I'm asking out of a wrong motive? Trust God. He'll be the one. I mean, come on, as a parent, don't you do that? 
Don't, it breaks my heart when one of my boys don't ask me for something that they really want. And then trust me to tell you, yes, now's the time for that. Or you know, why don't you wait a little bit? You know, we raised six kids. There was some when they were 15, they were already in the, in the they had the uh, responsibility, they had the mind, the wits about them, the common sense to, yeah, let's go ahead and get right into driver's training. You know, we got a car waiting for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's others of them that it's like, um, 18's going to be your friend. After you leave my house, you know, you on your own insurance, you get your own vehicle, that, no. Trust your father in heaven to search your heart and say yes to that, or maybe you'll wait. Isn't it better to hope for the good things under the tree than to just ask for the least? Come on, don't ask for just a few. Then the prophet instructed her, go in and shut the door behind you. Go in and shut the door behind you. Again, here's his instructions. You, we need to block out fear. Jesus did this. The disciples did this. There was prophets in the Old Testament that did this. When they went in and there's somebody that's died in the room and all these wailers and weepers were around, they're like, get out of the room. Shut the door. Then the miracle could happen. God wants to be the only answer in your life. He wants to be the provider. He wants to know that it's you and him. The miracle isn't going to happen. Okay, let me back up. When we leave the door open and the world see, look at the want I'm in, look at my need, look at, I, I'm telling everybody. Then when somebody brings us something, I mean, they could have been walking by your house and, and looking in, and she just got that little oil and all these empty jars around her. And they're like, oh, I feel sorry, I'm going to take her some oil. Now where's her needs getting met? From the world. So shut the door behind you. Why? Because then there's no question that God is your provider. Shut the door to mind your mind. Shut the door to worldly thinking, earthly mindsets. Shut the door to it. A.W. Tozer said, when we finally come to the end of ourselves, there God is. He wants to be your provider. Shut the door. I mean, let me just take a, let's take a little poll right now. How many of you have had a miracle happen in your finances where you know without a shadow of a doubt you told no one and God brought the answer? How many? Look around the room. Look around. Look around. There's something about it when you have said nothing and you know that was God alone. God alone. Nobody else knew this. I mean, I've shared with you before when Brian and I was youngly, newly married and we had nothing. I mean, nothing in the cupboards. Nothing. And we sat down and Brian, you know, I know, I, I mean, me, a wife, but a man sitting down to a table and nothing. And I'm like, what are we going to do? He says, let's just pray for our food. And ain't no food there, honey. 
So let's just pray for our food. And I'm serious. Before we even said amen, a knock came at the door. And here's pizza, hot pizza, and bags of groceries. Did we tell anybody? No. We shut the door behind us. God wants to be your provider. He goes on to say, the prophet prophesied. Ooh, there's a big one. The prophet prophesied. Did you notice in his instructions, he says, pour oil into all the jars. He was telling her what's coming. He was telling her what's going to happen. You see, prophecy or a prophetic word declares what is coming and pulls it from the future into the present. Now, her job is to take it as truth and act upon it or change the way she's thinking or and change the way she's thinking or she's going to be earthly minded and say that is not humanly possible i have a little could she excuse me prophet man i told you i had a little oil if i ask for all these jars from my neighbors and not asking for just a few how is that little oil going to pour into all those jars see when you're given a, a prophetic word it tells you what's going to happen it pulls it into the present but now it's your responsibility to act upon it otherwise if you're earthly minded you will render that word unfruitful in your life so if she would have walked away telling her boys, I don't know what that prophet was talking about. How's this oil going to go into all these jars? Shut the door behind us. We're going to shut the door. What are you going to do, ma? I don't know. This little oil's not going to go too far. How far do you think that oil would have went? Rendered it unfruitful. But she took it. And it says she quickly went. Some translations said she quickly went. Grabbed the jars. And it said she went quickly into her house and shut the door. You know, sometimes our lingering over the word renders it unfruitful because we have more time to think about it. How can that really happen? I don't see that. I just don't know. I've had that pain for so long. It's, well, it's just my burden to bear. I don't see that happening. He said, pour oil into all the jars. Here's a key point. I want you to remember this. Faith pulls from heaven's resources. Fear pulls from our resources. Faith pulls from heaven's resources. Fear will always pull from your own resources. There's no way that oil can go any farther. But faith pulls from heaven's resources. Are there limits in heaven? No. Faith pulls from God's resources, heaven's resources. Philippians 4.19, God will meet all your needs according to his riches. Not you, not your bank account, not what you can provide. His, his riches. God's kingdom principle of giving is not our economic understanding. Give this, get this, give this, get this. What we see, what we see, what we can only see. 
It's the whole harvesting, the seed, the planting, the watering, the waiting, the trusting, and then the harvest. And it's in that waiting and trusting that either faith is birthed or fear aborts it, kills it, kills the seed. It's in that waiting and that trusting. Who do you trust? Who's your provider is the question. The son replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. God is not a God of waste. Think about the multitude, the couple times he fed the multitudes. What did he tell them? Go pick up what's left. He's not a God of waste. He will fill what you surrender to him. But without a willing and open vessel, the flow will stop. She's holding the last vase in her hand. She's pouring more oil. Get me another vessel. And he says, there is no more. And the oil stopped. She can't set it aside anymore. It's the last one. A.B. Simpson did I already quote an ABC? No, that was A.W. Tozer. All these abbreviations. I'm B.K. Mauer. A.B. Simpson said, try to hold on to one of God's gifts and it will go. Try to economize and keep for yourself your blessing and it will disappear. Pass it on and it will burn forever. So let us be burning and shining and as we give out what he has given us, he will replenish the supply. And we shall have enough and enough to spare. And we too shall shine in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Like the widow's oil, if you hold on to it, the supply will stop. It's mine, 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 mine. Then mine is all you'll have. But keep pouring it out, keep giving it, keep trusting, and it will keep coming, and it will keep coming. The prophet instructed, now go sell what you need to pay your debts, and then you and your sons will live off or live on the rest. Pay what you owe and live on the rest. Every day would be a constant reminder to that household that God's their provider. Why? Because they're looking at the jars all around in their house. Every day would be a constant reminder. God is our provider. When we give God our little, he'll provide the increase. Testimonies are a precedent of what God will do again. All the testimonies you saw, the hands going up just a few minutes ago, are a precedent that God will do it again for you. I love testimonies because I can grab a hold of that. I have a pain in my leg. But if I hear somebody else had a pain in their leg and God healed them, I'm like, God, you did it for that one. You'll do it for me. And I can hold on to that. That breakthrough you gave to so-and-so, you'll give to me because you love them as much as you love me. You love me as much as you love them. Remember, God is wanting us to be kingdom 
minded, focused and fueled by heaven's resources and testimonies teach us the nature of this kingdom mindset. And he instructs us how he wants us to live. Not fear-based, not earthly-minded, but kingdom-minded in heaven. We're living from heaven to earth. But most of us, even Christians, we look around at all of our resources and all we have and we try to grab at heaven. Oh God, I need this. Oh God, I need that. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not some spoiled little kid. Turn around here. Back up to me. And get yourself backed up into God. Tucked up underneath his wing. And then he said, now go invade earth with my kingdom. Oh, that's how I walk in abundance. That's how I walk in the rule of the kingdom of heaven. Not when I'm grabbing and wanting and getting and I need this and I need that, God. He says, wait a minute, that's not it. Back yourself up. Now you're faith-based. Now it's from heaven to earth. Think of some of the greatest heroes in life. God first led them through their want before they could rule in their wealth. David, caretaker of sheep, errand boy, hiding in caves, yet God declared him as king, a man after his own heart. Joseph, sold as a slave, thrown in prison, yet became second only to Pharaoh and did what? He saved nations through the worst famine. Joshua was an aide, and yet that's the one God chose to lead Israel into the promised land, just to name a few. But he had to have them walk through their want before they could rule with their wealth. See, Bill Johnson said that it's through choices that character is built. See, if you don't have any choices, you know, Am I going to be worldly-minded? Am I going to be kingdom-minded? Am I going to live in fear? Am I going to live in faith? There's no character to that. But when I choose one over the other, when I choose not to look at the cares of the world and keep my eyes focused on God, that's where character is built. Uh, my circumstances don't look like things are going well for me, but I'm focused this way, and they're going to catch up to me. See, I'm not going to let my circumstances rule my spirit. I'm going to tell my circumstances, you have to catch up with me because this is where I'm going. Single-minded, single-focused. The lesson here is that God is teaching us with our resources, obedience and trust. Who do you trust? Who's your provider? You know, if I say God's saying, if I say do this... You can trust me that I'll do that. God puts something in your hand and then asks, what will you do with it? The widow only had a little oil. The little boy only had a small lunch. The deliverer of Israel only had a shepherd's staff. The widow in the temple only had two small coins. The forgiven woman only had a jar of perfume. The fisherman only had a net. The shepherd boy only had a sling and a stone. But if you don't offer your little, God can't multiply it. 
and see, this is where I want to just, gosh, there is so much. I'm, I'm wondering, let me just think right now. We might have to break this into two because there's, Let me see if I can push through in five minutes. <laughs> Strap in. Here we go. God declared, and I'm rolling up my sleeves. Okay. Get your pen and paper on. Let's just take a lot of notes here. Okay. God declares our position in him. We are heirs with Christ. Yet everyday decisions declare, do we believe that? Are we obedient to that? Or are we disobedient to that? Do you trust God to give him what he asks? He puts something in your hand and he says, do you trust me to give it back now? Oh, but God, I only have a little. He says, give it to me. But you know what? What he really desires is that we honor him with what we have. See, he's given us everything, even the breath in our lungs. And he says, can you just honor me by giving me the first part of it? What? Why? Shouldn't we pay all of our bills first? I mean, that's what he told the widow with the oil. Go sell what you have. But see, she had already offered the first. And then go pay your debts. And then live on the rest. See, there was already a precedent set there. If you give the first fruits... God says, that shows me honor. Think about this. I told you before, I'm a, my love language gifts, baby. I am clothed in gifts today. Look at, this was a gift. This was a gift. This was a gift. I love gifts. But there's more than just the gift. God says, how can you honor me with your gifts? How can you honor me with your first fruits? By the way you give it. Is a gift more honorable if it was a last ditch to the gas station and grab something up and here you go? It's in the grocery bag from the gas station. Or the gift that was thought out, wrapped up, presented, and even they start, I got you something. But Christmas isn't for a month and a half. But I already got you something. Which gift is more honored? Hmm, that's right. The one that you went out and you pursued first, you thought it through. He said, if you give me your first fruits, that's showing me honor. How else do you show honor in your finances if you don't give the first fruit? Why would a king honor a servant who doesn't show him honor? Again, I'm just trying to push through really fast. Um, why does God ask for the first fruit? Think about the seed and the sower. God has given you the seed. You must sow it in order for him to multiply it. God is trying to teach us and show us that natural works with the supernatural to produce the miracle. We're the conduit between the two worlds. He chose us. He chose us. We don't just sit on the sideline and say, Go, God! Get him! It's like, what? I gave you authority. You go get them with my power, with my resources. You go. 
or the conduit he chooses. Write these scriptures down. Proverbs 8, 12 through 21 is powerful. It talks about seek wisdom, seek wisdom above. And he's talking about godly wisdom. Seek godly wisdom above all else. Why? Because he says, with me, wisdom says, with me, I hold wealth, prosperity. You want to be rich in this world? Here it is. You want to be prosperous? Here it is. It says, seek for it like nothing else. Seek out God's wisdom. And then in James 1, 2 through 8, and I will read this one to you. James 1, 2 through 8. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Listen to this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. I like that. And it will be given to him. But, here's the big but. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from God. Why? He is a double-minded man. Unstable in all he does. Oh, I want to believe God, but uh, I know that this isn't possible. I want to believe God, but the thorns... Listen, the seed that was planted among the thorns, the thorns were planted too. Right? Thorns come from seeds. Thoughts in your mind popping up doesn't mean that they're the seed of God in your mind. (laughs) Could be thorns. A double-minded man is trying to believe heaven, but believe what they've seen, and they've got all these things going off in their mind. What do I believe? What do I believe? He says, you want wisdom? Ask God. But then when you ask God, you have to believe you receive from God. Put all the other voices aside, all the other, line it up. Remember, I talked to you over and over again. Line it up. If you have a thought that you don't know if it lines up with the word, go to the word. Go back to the original. Does that is that what God says? Uh, God helps those who help themselves. Right? Right? Haven't you heard that one? I still get that one preached at me. Really? Can you tell me where that's found? And is it found in, in context in the scripture? Because people, I mean, even Satan did that. He popped out scriptures. Oh, hey, here's a word for you. Here, here's a word for you. Out of context, out of the word. Just because it pops up in your mind doesn't mean, mean it's God. Ask God for wisdom, but don't be double-minded. And then let me just finish up, because 
I was confused over this. Is wealth and prosperity the same thing? Um, because the scripture sometimes separates the two, even where you're going to read about um, wisdom saying, um, I hold wealth and prosperity, wealth and prosperity with me. Wealth is um, simply the state of having money, where prosperity is an abundance of money. It's a successful living um, word that I looked at, flourishing of. So it's a continuation of. So it's like um, wealth would be uh, somebody gives Brittany a check for a million dollars. Amen to that. Don't forget the first fruits of that. Right back here. Prosperity means somebody keeps giving Brittany a million dollar check. Million dollar check. A million dollar check. Aha. So do you want wealth? Or do you want wealth and prosperity? I'll take the both. Remember, don't ask for just a few. I'll take both. All right, so let's look at this. Here's your declaration of wealth and prosperity. I want you to write this scripture down, and I want you to start incorporating it in your prayers. And I want you to personalize it. In 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11, it says, Now he... Big H, he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that... You can be generous on every occasion, and through your generosity will result thanksgiving to God. You like that? You'll like it better once you start taking it apart and applying it as a declaration. You'd be saying, God, you supply the seed for me to sow. God, you also supply the bread for us to eat. God, you supply and you said you will increase my store of seeds. So I speak to my bank account right now. I speak to my savings account right now. I speak to my investments right now that you begin to increase that because your word says you will. And God, you will enlarge the harvest of my righteousness. My right standing in God. People will see and be drawn to you, God, through my life. God will make me rich in every way. I will have wealth and prosperity so that, not so I can be spoiled, rotten, and set back and just eat and get fat and do nothing. No, so that I can be generous on every occasion. So that God, what you give me, that little, if it starts out little, I'm going to keep pouring it. I'm going to keep pouring it. I'm going to keep giving it. God, it's yours. I want to honor you with it. The more you give me, the more you give back to God with an open hand. He says, I can trust them with more. I can trust them with more. But the minute you hold on to it, like A.B. Simpson said, it will disappear. If you find it hard to give God your first fruits because you're fearful that you won't have enough at the end, guess what? You're not going to have enough at the end. But if you stay single-focused, single-minded, heaven, heavenly-minded, kingdom-minded, 
and immediately honor God with the first fruits. Here it is, God. I lay it down to you. Now I can trust you with the West. I put all those other thoughts, all that other fear behind me. It has no place in my life. Then he says, I can trust you with more. I can trust you with more. Make me rich on every occasion so I'll be generous on, generous on every occasion. And thanksgiving to God will result from my generosity. What does that mean? It means when you're given your first fruits, hello, lights stay on in the church building, staff gets paid, uh, instruments get fixed, carpet gets taken care of, doors stay, you know? The building gets built, the campus comes alive. Thanksgiving to God, we get to support our missionaries around the world. Thanksgiving rejoices from your generosity. So one final thought. See, I almost got through it all. A warning, actually, it would be. If you focus on the breakthrough, you're actually taking your eyes off God. Our new building edition. It's extremely easy to get focused on. We need that building. We have to have that building. God, give us that building. Now all of a sudden, God's saying, I'm over here and you keep looking over there. Even our breakthroughs, even our miracles, even the things we're asking for can take our eyes off from God. And then we start getting worldly minded when we start thinking, where's that breakthrough, God? You said you would give it to me and everybody else. And I told people and, and I profess that I believe that my healing was coming, but here I am. I'm still in pain again. And then we're looking at the pain and he's saying, would you just look at me? We're becoming double minded, even when we're focusing on the breakthrough. It's being double minded. Again, single focus, single focus. Those other things, the healing, the, the prosperity, the wealth, the new building, are byproducts to being single-focused. They'll happen. They'll if we stay focused over here, otherwise we're taking our eyes off Jesus and we're starting to focus on that one thing. It's a good thing. Being double-minded doesn't mean a bad thought and a good thing. It's not the little devil on this shoulder and Jesus on this shoulder. Hello, you know. Oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? No, it could be a really good thing. But it's pulling your focus off from God. So a warning is, don't even let the breakthrough take your focus off from Him. All right, I'm just going to stop right there. <laughs> Shut her down. All right, what I want us to do... In the altar call. Gosh, I feel like I'm out of breath because I was just powering through. Um, I think I shared this last week. Maybe a few weeks ago. Anyway, the scripture that says to confess one to another and then you will be healed. Confession means um, I've been doing things wrong. It can be as simple as I've been thinking wrong. But you need to confess it to your brother, to your sister. And then you need to repent. Confess and repent. Because repentance means change the way you're thinking. And he didn't say confess to the one perfect person in this room. 
because he's not here. Well, God's here. But see, it puts pride under your feet when you confess to your brother. You continue to feel fuel pride in your life when you think, well, I don't have to tell anybody else what I'm doing wrong. I'll just tell God. It fuels pride in your life. Confession puts pride underfoot. And God says, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. And it's humbling to confess what you've been thinking wrong or doing wrong. But God says, I've got the grace for you. Your healing will come, but confession comes first. And then repent before you turn around, before you walk out of here. Change the way you're thinking. Change the way you're thinking. So if everybody, if you just close your eyes and bow your head, I just, I really want to pray for the ones that say, this is for me. I had to hear this. Fear and finances, it seems to be almost like tormenting me right now. Would you pray with me? If that's you, would you just raise your hand just so I can see you? Yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah. And before we go any farther, really, you've got to know that God has a place for you. And if you've been running from God or you feel like you're just trying to slip in and slip out and you really don't even know if you have a relationship established yet with God, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior. And today's your day. Would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you too. Just slip it. Today's my day. I want to make sure that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Okay. Okay. I see you. Okay. Well, here's what I want to do. I, I want us to. Um, I want us to just flood the front, really. I want us to flood the front because I want to provide a comfortable atmosphere where there's so many people up here that when you turn to somebody and say, hey, can I just uh, confess something right now and would you pray for me, that it would be more comfortable than uncomfortable, okay? So would you just do that? And if you're the one or two or three that raised your hand and said, I need a new relationship or I need to uh, begin a new relationship with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, do it in that time as well. Tap one of us on the shoulder, any one of us. Pray for each other. So come on up front. And Amy's going to lead in this song, which I just love this song because it tells us to focus. It's all on Jesus. It's all for the one who saved me. That's the reason I live. That's the reason I breathe. That's what all this is for.